Trips football podcast. We are here for another Premier League team season preview, and this time it's turn of the richest club in the world, you could say, in Newcastle United. Never thought I'd say that five years ago. Um, with me today, I've got a guy who you will know from our previous NFL feed on this podcast, but also our new feed, sister feed on the Across the Pod podcast, who was on our Carolina Panthers preview this year, which may be released before or after this one. But I'm here with the Magbys channels. Keg, how are you, mate? I'm very good, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. Looking forward to talking to Newcastle with you for the first time. Uh, we've chatted some Carolina Panthers and some NFL quite a few times on your channels. But uh, me bread and butter is, is Newcastle, always has been with the Magby channel. So, yeah, nice to make me debut. Yeah, well, welcome to the uh, podcast. And we will... As you saw on our Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest episodes, we are going to go through the ins and outs of Newcastle this season. So, but before we do that, actually, we normally like to ask fans why they're a fan of their team, but your accent will give that away, so we'll save that <laughs> question. <laughs> um, so, first question for you, Keg. Favourite ever Newcastle player in your time being a fan? Um, favorite ever player. Um, I think the easy answer is probably going to be Alan Shearer. I think everyone's always going to expect that answer. So, uh, often when I get asked that question, I try and like to think a bit more outside the box instead of giving you the the boring old uh, Alan Shearer answer. Um, but to be fair, that there's, there's been a lot, you know, from uh, back in the day. I think in like the Keegan Entertainers era was like my earliest memory of football. I was I was just a kid, so I, I can't remember as much of it as I wish I could. Uh, but the Bobby Robson era, I remember. So you can go through your know, Lauren Rebez, Kieran Diaz, uh, Nobby Solanos, Jermaine Jenis, um, through to yeah, like Hatton Ben Arthas, people like that. Um, so I don't know. I'm trying to think who I, I really, really like as a kid. Um, actually, yeah, I, I know my answer. It is uh, David Ginola. Very good. I was always a big fan of him when I was a kid growing up. Like, yeah, you could have picked any one of your. Uh, Rob Lee's, Gary Speeds, uh, David Batty's, um, Les Ferdinand's, um, any any one of them really. Um, but yeah, I think Ginola was always uh, the, the first like winger that I, I really enjoyed watching. Then you go through to like yeah Ben Arfas and yeah Maxmans and stuff. But uh, yeah, uh, Ginola was always me, me childhood hero like, alongside Shira. And also favorite memory as a fan. Um, favorite memory? Oh Christ, I've got a lot of them. Um, I mean, not as many as I wish I had. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that could have been, that could have been more. Um, it, it's difficult. Like as as, as a match going fan, uh, one of me, I think going to games, uh, like like seeing them in the flesh is uh, probably more enjoyable than watching them at home. Like say back in like the entertainers era, where we beat Man United five 0 That's a historic game. Uh, beating Barcelona at home, Tino Asprea hat tricks. Like, 
I was just young at that time, so I didn't really remember it well. But and and I, I didn't get to them games either, unfortunately. But um, I think one of my favourite days as, as a fan, particularly like doing the Magpie channel, we used to get to a lot more games like pre-COVID. We went to quite a lot of games in that kind of like three-year stretch before COVID hit when the channel first started. Uh, had many, many good days. Uh, Man United uh, at home, Matty Longstaff's winner, that was a good game. Um, I think my favourite game or, or day that I've ever really had uh, doing the Magpie channel was... Uh, Tottenham Hotspur away, which would have been the 2019-20 season, I think. Um, Joe Linton's first game, uh, first season, I should say. Uh, yes, it was. It was 2019, 19-20 uh, season at home. I think it was the third game in of the season, away to Spurs. Uh, it was the first time we actually played at Spurs' new stadium because uh, it was the first time we could get there. And I just everything about that day was incredible because the weather stayed amazing. Like very very nice day down in the capital. Tottenham's amazing new stadium. Uh, at that time, uh, Tottenham were flying. I think it was the year after they got to the uh, Champions mm. League final. So we didn't expect anything. Like it was Pochettino's Champions League Tottenham against Steve Bruce's relegation scrap in Newcastle. So. We just went down for just for the support, really, just for the, for the experience of Tottenham's new stadium and just having a, a day or a weekend in London. Uh, but it was a brilliant game, which we won one nil. One new forty million pound striker, Julian on scores first goal for the club, uh, and and yeah, just the atmosphere, the day, the stadium, the game, the results, like everything was just special. It was it was a brilliant, brilliant day. That that's that's one that always uh, sticks in my memory. I, I remember that day well because you mentioned the nice weather. I was living in Bristol at the time and I'd been out with friends that day to a couple of beer gardens. I think that was, I'm pretty sure that was the same day when there was like a cricket, was it the Ashes or the World Cup was going on that same day? Ben Stokes did something that was meant to be really good and everyone just, even I'm not a cricket fan, I remember everyone just seemed to conjugate around this little screen in the outside bit. But I remember that and then I remember the same day then seeing the result of um of you guys losing, sorry, beating Tottenham so yeah I, I do remember that game and obviously it's a season where we won the league for the first time in 30 years so that season will always um, be in my memory for a long time so yeah, no, yeah. and who'd have thought Jill Linton and a little NFL anecdote uh, to that as well actually it was the night before that game I think just after we checked into the hotel I checked my phone and that was the night Andrew Luck announced his retirement so, oh, uh, yeah, okay. Andrew Luck retired that year as well, the night before that game. So yeah, that's that's another memory that sticks with us as well. But yeah, Joe Linton, like who would have thought? Like at, at that time, we didn't know if he was any good or not. Like he was relatively unknown. Like he, he was signed to be a striker, and it was only his third game in. Got his first goal, took it well. Uh, so we expected a bit from him, but it didn't really come. I can't remember when his second goal was. I, I don't think it was until the end of the season. So <laughs> he went on a bit of a drought after that. But uh, yeah, he's turned into. Uh, at the end of that season and even the season afterwards, everybody thought he was a £40 million flop striker. Uh, but it was just bad, bad management from the club, Steve Bruce and everybody involved with his transfer, really, because he never even played as a striker uh, when he was at Hoffenheim. He played Champions League football under Julian Nagelsmann before he came to Newcastle. And we just badly, badly managed him, put him in a bad team, out of position, and expected him to work wonders. So, honestly, I think... Alan Shearer would struggle to score 10 goals in that Newcastle team. Like We were absolutely hopeless. And putting a guy who isn't a striker, slap the number nine shirt on him, club record signing, put him up front by himself, no support. Like like Harry Kane, Alan Shearer, Haaland, name 
pick their striker, they would have struggled to score goals in that team because we were hopeless. Uh, but yeah, I'm pleased um, the takeover happened, Eddie Howe happened, and we worked out that he's actually worth something, and that £40 million is looking worth every single penny that was spent on him now. Absolutely. Um, speaking of signings, um, in terms of ins, um, Jan Kuba Minter, I don't know whether I pronounced that right, uh, winger, £6 million from a dense, bold club, but he's also been loaned out to Feyenoord for the season. Yeah. Um, other outs include Chris Wood, who's gone to Nottingham Forest permanently for £15 million, and do catch our Forest episode to get uh, Jay Martin's thoughts on that transfer. Um, and also, Matty Longstaff and Kieran Clark have both gone via being free agents. But, of course, the main side which everyone has been talking about is AC Milan's Sandro Tonali, £55 million for AC Milan. Now, for you, Keg, just would you ever have thought five, six years ago, that you'd be buying a guy from AC Milan for 50-odd million pounds. Did you ever think that was possible when you were relegated for the second time to the Championship? Absolutely not. Even, even like, the signing of Joe on for 40 million pounds. Like, that was actually Mike Ashley signing as well. Like, even, like, but when, when you think about the, the current climate of football, like, the money in football nowadays, like, 40, 50 million pounds happen all the time. Like, it doesn't even seem that much money in this day and age, but like just just for Newcastle, like we're not used to spending that much money. Um, Shearer in 1996 was a world record transfer, not just a club record or Premier League record transfer, but a world record transfer of 15 million. And it took up until about 2006, I think, to break that record, or 2007 to break that for Michael Lowen, who was about a million pound more. I think he was 16, 17 million. Took another 10, 12 years to beat that for Miguel Almiron. Signed him in January of uh, 2019 for 24 million. Well, like, like 24 million is like not that much money. So, yeah, like like back in that day and age, like if Mike Ashley ever decided to pull his checkbook out and spend anything significantly over 10 million, you think oh, you, you must be doing all right, or you must have got a quite a bit in from Debenhams or somewhere like that. Like, he must have uh, sold off one of his uh, chains or something. So, yeah, now that we're competing for top European clubs, top European talents, like names, right, and spending good amounts, like Alexander Isak, 64 million, like, uh, Bruno Gimmerich, um Sven Botman, and a lot of players that we've been linked with as well who haven't even uh, had talks yet. Like, it, it, is, it is crazy. It does feel like another world it's like why us how us like this isn't the Newcastle that I've come to know like, like back in my days when I was a kid we were spending world record fees we were spending British record fees on the likes of like Andy Cole and Warren Barton I think he was a record uh, defensive player or something like that like we spent money on building a good team back in like the 90s and in Bobby Robson's era but yeah the last 15 20 years have been really, really hard for a Newcastle fan. I think coming towards the end of the Mike Ashley era, like interest was just dwindling away, to be honest with you, because they, it just wasn't fun anymore. Just just surviving, just being like one of the numbers, just being one of the 20 Premier League clubs was it. Like there was no ambition, no desire to even try and get top 10, get Europa League, nothing like that. Like, Mike actually just didn't care. It was just another one of his businesses to him. It was badly run. The executives, the coaching, everything was just piss poor. So now that we're, we've got people within the club who know what they're doing, like like CEOs, chief executives, scouting staff, and obviously the, the coaching through Eddie Howe and uh, Jason Tindall, 
it's, it's just a completely different world to what we were living 18, 24 months ago. It's it's crazy. It's it's unfathomable. Yeah, it is a complete difference. And that's you know, something we saw with Man City as well. They were a team that were like you, a team that was making up the numbers. And then we all thought what happened. But what we've seen, and I could be wrong here, but what we've seen with both Chelsea and City is that they spent loads straight away. Whereas you guys seem to yeah. have a bit more of a methodical approach. Obviously, now you spent the likes of 64 and Isaac, but it's not like City and Chelsea where there's like a massive splurge in one go. You are seemingly going about it a bit more carefully. But what's your take been on in terms of the viewpoint from around the, the league and around the world from fans who are saying that it's wrong that Saudi owners come in like and everyone's sort of morally being very against this um, takeover. But what's your take from a fan's point of view about the PIF owners and the, the income from Saudi, about how all that's gone down? What's your take been on that? Well, as a football fan, there's not really much that we can do about this. Like, we don't control anything as fans. Like, we didn't want Mike Ashley. Like, that's nothing that we can really do. Like, do we agree or do we support the, the Saudi regime? Of course we don't, really. But we're fans at the end of the day. We just want to see our club do well. Like, it was neglected and voided, rotten from the call for 15 years. So now we're just seeing a brighter day and we're seeing our team compete where the money comes from isn't really our concern. There's nothing really that we can do about it. But like I said, we have been going about it methodically. There has been a bit of a tactic to it. Like we haven't just been splashing the cash. I think there's more rules against it now, like with FFP than what there was, particularly back in Chelsea's day when uh, Roman Abramovich took over. But even when Man City got their takeover, like rules were stricter back then. So it's not like we can just go out and spend money. Like, yes, we're the richest team in the world well, nearly 10 times richer than what Man City is, but that doesn't mean that we can spend all that money. Like, there's rules against it. So we're, we're trying to do it in a more methodical and organic way just to build things back up from the, the rot that Mike Ashley left in getting your, your kind of gritty players like your Dan Burns and your Chris Woods, which people would have been laughing at. Like, I think the media play more of a, a role than anything else. Like, Newcastle, like, we're, we're trying not to get caught up in the whole ownership thing like I said there's nothing we can do about it but the media just wants to shine this light down and, and force a, a, a fake and, and a negative narrative which is something that we've had on ourselves for the last 15 years like it's been a negative club to be at and now that we're happy everyone else wants to be unhappy forward and it just feels like a, a bit unfair it's like what what really can we do about it you know what I mean so um but yeah like we're, we're just trying to get like players in to, to build the team up. Like I know when the takeover first happened, the media were trying to say that, oh, we'll be going after like Mbappe and Neymar and Haaland and all this rubbish. Like I don't think any Newcastle fan realistically thought that that was on the horizon. Like I think we, we did do things the right way. Like we went and got Dan Byrne and Chris Wood and Nick Pope and Matt Target. And I know people were laughing when we signed them because I think they thought like because of the, the false narrative that the media were portraying that, but would be going after world-class talents, right? But if you think back to Man City, they got Rabinho, and he was just too good for that team. He just didn't gel, he didn't fit. Their better signings were like your Craig Bellamy's and your Shea Givens and people like uh, Julian Lescott, Gareth Barry. Like, they were like the foundations of the club, which enabled them to go and get like your Sergio Aguero's and your Yaya Toure's and Kevin De Bruyne's and people like that. So that's just where we're at right now. Like, last season was amazing beyond belief like we didn't expect to finish where we did 
there's absolutely no chance in hell that we could have realistically thought that we were going to be competing in the top four in the league. Like that was maybe a five-year plan. But now we're there and we've got Champions League football. We need to spend money because we won't survive simply if we don't. Like I think we'll struggle both in the league and the Champions League if, if we don't, because the back half of this squad is still the Steve Bruce Mike Ashley rubbish that we need to start fending off and replacing with better quality, better depth um, for more like rotational purposes to be able to survive a long, hard season. Um, but yeah, like, like FFP won't allow that. Like we just can't go and spend all that money. Uh, this £55 million signing of Tenali just took a huge dent in Wakiti. Like, and people think that we can spend £500 million. We can't really. Like, we're nearly skint now because we've, spent, we've bought one player. So it's not as if we're buying the league. It's not as if the Saudis are pumping billions into the club. Like, where the money is going, as well as like, yeah, like your Dan Burns and your Chris Woods, is it, like I say, it, it's taken away the rot from within the club. Like we've built, well, we've freshened up our dying um, training facility. Like that was a new facility in about 2003 that hadn't had a lick of paint since. Old stuff, like players were having like, ice baths in wheelie bins and stuff because we're facilities were just that poor. The stadium's getting mouldy. The, like I say, the CEOs, the, the people within the club, were just friends of Mike Ashley, no clue about football, didn't know what they were doing. Players were useless, no investment. Youth academy coaches, dead, no investment, no scouting, useless. So that's where the majority of the money's gone for us. Like We've started building the foundations, we've been putting money where it needs to be to be able to sustain success if and when it comes. So uh, I don't care what people are saying about us spending money to win the league. Like that's all rubbish. Like if anything, we haven't even started yet. We've just been building it up yet. Let's say with yeah, like Anthony Gordon's and like, we've still got like Jeff Hendrick and that there, man. Like we haven't even started yet. Like this is this is just the beginning. Yeah, uh, I think obviously I started the Champions League qualification, which of course we finished third last season, which I actually want to take some credit for this because I actually had Newcastle finishing fifth in my pre-season predictions, which, you know, people call me crazy, but you aren't half an hour, are you, to quote Nigel <laughs> Um <laughs> The first and only time I'll be mentioning his name in, in a podcast, but um, in terms of that though, Champions League football, obviously what was great last year is that you had a great run of form, Goes to show that you weren't even playing some maximum as your main guy as you were years before. That shows how far the squad's come. But of course, there was no European football to finish. But now you've got two like Champions League and Premier League. And it may well be the case that you know you get bad because of your seeding, you may well get knocked out of the group stage, like City were for a few years when they first started getting into European football. And even with that, comes a lot of games. And do you think that in fact you only got what really one main signing? Do you think that with the Champions League or whether it's Europa League in January, is that going to affect your league position come come May? I think it may well do, yeah. It's a, it is going to be a long, hard season. Um, like with midweek games that we're not really used to, like we haven't played European football in 20 years. Like our squad is too shallow, really, to be able to survive on all fronts because we want to do well in the domestic cups as well. Like we fell short at the last hurdle in the Carabao Cup last season. We haven't won any major silverware since 1969. So we want to kind of rip that bandage off and be able to like use that as a stepping stone. Once the first trophy comes, I think we'll be on a bit of a run. Like We'll start like getting the taste for it and we'll want to get more. We'll know how to win it. So that, that first trophy is going to be a big one. So 
to, I know we're not going to be able to compete in all of them. Like I think it's going to be Carabao or FA Cup. So that's three out of four competitions that we'll want to do our very, very best in. And I ain't saying we're going to win any of them, like the Premier League, especially Champions, well, Champions League, especially Premier League. Like I think we'll struggle to maintain top four, to be honest with you. Um, if, if you want to ask us what a happy season would be, uh, it would just be to do well in the Champions League. Like I say, we are going to be a, a low seed. Like we're not going to like we're going to have hard teams regardless. Like two out of the three teams that we're going to get are most likely going to be top top teams uh, for whenever that draw comes. But just to be able to compete and it's amazing. But if we don't get out of it, it's fine. Like I say, like this has been like a five year plan. We shouldn't be here yet. The squad isn't equipped to deal with it. So just being in it. Seeing Champions League back at St James's Park for the first time in 20 years, listening to the music as the players come out of the tunnel, having the Champions League badge on your arm, like it, it's an honour and a privilege to be there. So if we don't get out of the group stage, fine, like I, I don't care. But if we did, if we were to go out in the round of 16, if we were still to get some form of European football like Europa League uh, and another good cup run like maybe another Carabao Cup final, I'd say that is a successful season. And again, I think like the, the narrative is that Newcastle fans expect too much. Like we want to get like the Champions League quarterfinal and be in the top three of the Premier League and win the FA Cup. Like it couldn't be further from the truth. Like I say, we're, we're too far. Like we've gone too far now. Like we're, we're way too far ahead of our own expectations. So if this is a bit of an off season because of the Champions League, then then so be it. But um. I still think that we'll get more through the door instead of just Tonali. Like we've got a lot of work to do. There's links every day. I almost feel like disbanding from my Twitter account because I'm seeing all these ridiculous links. Like every day, that there's people that we're meant to be talking to. Um, strong chance of Harvey Barnes coming through the door in the next couple of weeks. Um, we've also been uh, talking to a bunch of fullbacks. Um, Centre back, so we need a left back because Dan Byrne was my main left back last season, and he's not a left back as good as he was. Uh, he, he was very, very good, but it, it still pains me to say he plays a left back like the dude six foot seven that he can't be played left back. Um, we could do with a little more option. Right wing is is a poor position, and we could do with depth at striker and centre back as well. So after um, Tenali and after Barnes. There's still at least two or three more bodies that we need to get through the door, but we need to start getting some outs as well because, like I say, that transfer budget is wearing very, very thin. We haven't really sold anyone of any great value yet, so and we've got a, a whole lot of dead wood, so there's at least half a dozen players that we need to get out of the squad to, to make room for some new bodies coming through the door. And before we get your final table prediction, just one quick word answers from... One player you would sell right now for Newcastle, and one player you would realistic uh, realistic options that is that you would buy for the club by the time it gets to the end of the transfer window. Um, the the one player that I would like to sell, which might come as a bit of a surprise to everybody, is uh, probably Alan Samaxman. Simply, uh, I've got many many reasons. I think there's more pros to selling them than what there is to for keeping them, uh, and that being. He didn't really play a lot in Eddie Howe's system last year. Um, he had a lot of injuries, to be fair. He, he does pick up quite a few niggles, so he, he was on the sidelines for a lot of last year, as he has been for the year or two prior as well. He always picks up knocks. He's quite fragile. Um, 
But yeah, he, I just don't think he has the the work rate that an Eddie Howe team demands. Like Eddie Howe is, he puts like a lot of pressure on, like they're very intense. He's training sessions, he demands high press. So there's a lot of running, a lot of energy goes into an Eddie Howe team. Uh, Anthony Gordon mentioned that at the end of last season, actually, after the, the final game of the season. Uh, he said he came in in January and he was just unfit. Like the training's just different to what he experienced at Everton. And he just wasn't ready physically or mentally for what Newcastle demanded of him, which is something that he's been trying to work on this this summer, which has started well, winning the European Under-21 Championship and getting player of the tournament. So hopefully we'll see a, a better side of him next season. But yeah, I just don't think Maxman tracks back enough. He's not very good defensively. Uh, he's got pace and he's got energy, but as he's a bit injury prone. Um, he, he'll not chase every ball. I don't think he'll uh, press very much. Uh, but he's still got good value for his return. Like, even at his best, his goal return for Newcastle isn't great. I think his best season was the year before last with nine goal contributions in total. I think it was uh, five assists and four goals. Like, that's not good enough for a forward player. But I still think he's of good value. Like, he's of good entertainment value because he's brilliant to watch. He's been very, very entertaining for us under the the bleak times of um, Steve Bruce. He was the only one that really got you off your seats, the only one worth getting excited for. But now that we've got some actual talented players, uh, you just see the flaws in his game. Like He just makes too many mistakes. His decision-making is poor, always has been, really. Uh, but when he was our best player, you kind of just kind of shrug that to the side. But now he, he doesn't get away with it anymore. Uh, but I still think we get good value for him because he's still quite young. He's only 26 years old, uh, got a lot to offer. Um and if we do get a good transfer value, I think we'd be looking to for offers of around about 30 million. Uh, personally, I'd like more. I'd, I'd like a bit more towards 50 million, but because of his not great return, I, I don't think we'll get as much as that. So anything between 35 to 50 million, I'd let him go so we can use that transfer funds to, to put into someone who is going to be uh, what Eddie Howe wants and who is going to contribute to the team for what everybody needs. So yeah, Maxi would be me first one out with it. Uh, with a heavy heart, I don't want to see him go, but for the best benefit of the club, uh, I think he's, he's worth going because I think anyone else who would go, you probably wouldn't even get 10 million out with him. Like there's like Martin Dubravka, maybe he's another one who's fallen uh, uh, down the list, but he's 34 now. I think you'd be lucky to get 6 million for him. Uh, yeah, Isaac Haydens, for example, you'd be lucky to get five for him. So Max is the only one of any real value. So if we can sell him and buy someone else, someone who does fit Eddie Howe's style, then, yeah, I think he, he needs to go, really. like we, we need to start selling some players. So, yeah, Maxi has to take one for the team, I'm afraid. Um, for anyone coming in, I, I don't really know. I can't really give you a name because, like I say, we've been linked with so, so many. Uh, Tenali's been an, an amazing signer, such a shrewd signer, that is. Uh, and I think Harvey Barnes is going to be an underrated one as well if he does uh, make the signing, which I think he will. Uh, a lot of criticisms coming from him saying, yeah, he's, he's not that good. Like, but his goal and assist return compared to Maximin. In fact, last season, in a struggling Leicester side who got relegated, he scored more last season, which I think was 13 goals than what Maximin has in four years at Newcastle. He's only, wow. scored 12, he's only scored 12 Premier League goals in four years. And Harvey Bond scored more than that in a relegated season. So that tells you the upgrade than what he is. He's miles better than Almiron. He's, he's better than anyone that we've really got to offer. Is it? Um, Anthony Gordon struggled last season, so I, I think he'll come better next season. But 
Yeah, Barnes is a big improvement as much as people might laugh. They might think that he's a bit more of like a like a Dan Byrne or Chris Wood type signing. He's not. He's, he's not that level. He's, he's much better than that. But we've been linked with um, uh, Chiesa, uh, a bunch of players. Um, so, yeah, Federico Chiesa has been one that we've been talking to, uh, had quite a lot of interest in. Um, I think we need that right side filled. Actually, tell you what it is. My dream signing for this window is uh, Moussa Diaby from uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, strongly linked with him last season. Uh, I think by I think Leverkusen were asking for more last year than what they are this year. I think they were asking for around about 70, 80 last year. Whereas I've heard rumours, whether you believe um, transfer rumours or not, is that they could be open to let them go for about 50 million this year, which I think would be a bargain because he can get double-figure goals and double-figure assists. Like, he can make 25 goal contributions in a single season, him. Uh, he's got Champions League experience, still very young, international experience with France as well. And best of all, is he's a right-sided player because all of our wingers are better on the left. So like if you take some Maximin, Gordon, um, Isak can play there, um, Harvey Barnes as well, uh, even Chiesa, I'm sure, is a bit more of a left-sided player. So everyone that we've been linked with and who we currently have, Joe Linton as well, he's good on the left-hand side. But only right-sided options are Almiron and Murphy. So that's a side that we really, really need to improve on. So as good as Chiesa would be, and don't get us wrong, I'm sure he'd do a good job on either left or right if he did come. But Diaby's an out-and-out right winger, and that's a major, major need, and he's a major, major player. And if 50 million is the transfer fee, then I think it's a bargain as well. So, uh, yeah, he'd be my dream signer. Fantastic. And then finally, Keg, our final question for you. Where in the table are Newcastle finishing this season? Um, probably going to say around about where you had us to go last season. So I've been having a look through the fixture list as well as when uh, cup games and Champions League games are. Um, so having a look at our records, kind of like what we've done on the Across the Pod podcast where we predict the Panthers record. Uh, I've kind of done that with the Newcastle team as well. So looking at it, I feel like we can correct a few wrongs from last season. I think the worst thing about us last season is that we just couldn't see many games off. Like We could have done better than the fourth that we've done. And somehow, amazingly, uh, we're only a few points off Man United, but we drew 14 games. Like, that's a lot of games to draw. Won 19, drew 14. So I think if we can get the quality of like Yatanalis and maybe it's like a, a Diaby, would be a much better outfit than what we were. Um, so yeah, we just need to draw less and hopefully see a few more of them off. But even with the Champions League, it's going to be hard. I'm not expecting miracles. Hopefully it doesn't put us off too much. It can do. Uh, I think if we, the further we go, obviously the more we're going to struggle in the league. So potentially going out of the group stage might be a bit of a, a silver line and like it might help us in the Premier League to maintain that. Um but yeah, I still think my prediction is that we're going to lose more games than what we did last year. But because we're not going to draw as many, we're going to win more as well. So I think we can finish with around about the same amount of points. Maybe it's a few more. Uh, my prediction is 74 points, whereas last season we finished in fourth place with 71. So I think we can do three points better by drawing less games. But another big thing about last season was how poor certain teams were, like like your guys, Liverpool, started badly, but ended very, very well. I think Man United can only improve if they sign a number nine. Uh, I don't think, well, Tottenham and maybe in Chelsea as well, Like I don't think they can possibly be any worse, so they've got to improve. 
So I think there'll be more competition in the top four next season than what there was, especially with Liverpool. Um, so I think fifth place would be amazing. I think sixth is where we should be looking at as a minimum. So fifth or sixth and making sure we'll get Europa League football next season is, is my prediction. Okay, so right now is our third team so far we've done. You are the highest prediction with uh, Jay Martin's 13th place prediction for his Forest and Oliver Lee's 14th place position for his Bournemouth. So yeah, overall optimistic stuff. But yeah, first, uh, that is where we'll end the Yorkshire's podcast, our Newcastle season preview. So thank you, Keg, for coming on, first of all. No worries. Thank you very much for having me, mate. I've enjoyed it. And as your first time on the podcast, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so look for the channel at uh, the Magpie channel on YouTube. Um, just gone over 27,000 subscribers over there as well. So uh, yeah, look for us on all social medias. So we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And you can look for me personally at KegTMC. Great stuff. And if you are watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe this video. And also, if you're listening on podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, don't forget to follow our podcast, subscribe to it for more episodes like this. But in the meantime, this has been the Euro Trips Football Podcast with myself and Keg, and we'll see you guys for our next team season preview. See you then. <laughs>